tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to Welcome back, listener, to the Campbell's Footballs podcast. Uh, for this recent episode, I am joined by Talk Sports' Ian Danter. Ian, a warm welcome to the show. Hello, sir. Nice to be with you. Everything yeah. good? Yeah, I'm very well. It's nice to have you on the show, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're well during this uh, very tricky times we have at the moment with, with hardly any sport kicking off. Yeah, you know, well, that's uh, the, there's the way it ought to be, Grant, and there's the way it is, and um, all of us, you know, commentators and those working within sport are just having to deal with the way it is, uh, and rightly so, until things get to a position where it's it's safe to get back on the horse, as it were, um, and, and get things done again. So we're all just finding different ways of staying occupied. Um, we all have our different little uh, idiosyncrasies, whatever keeps us going. Yes. So um, we'll just keep on keeping on until that call comes that uh, everything's going to try and get back to some sort of normality. Who knows what that's going to actually look like. Yeah, absolutely. How have you been keeping busy? Have you still got lots of things to do during the shutdown? Well, I, I launched a podcast uh, once we went into lockdown. It's something I've been threatening to do for a very long time because 20 years ago I used to do um, comedy shows for local radio in Birmingham. Right. And I had a load of archive material and it was always an idea of mine to revisit that um, and sort of play some of those things out for those who never heard it. Yeah. It's called Ian Danter's Barmy Old Podcast, which I've listened to a couple of episodes, which are uh, very funny. So if you haven't listened to Ian's podcast, may I draw your attention to that? Because it's very humorous, very entertaining, and a great way to pass the time when you're out doing your more than once a day daily exercise, which is uh, ongoing at the moment as of the uh, current uh, restrictions by the government. Absolutely correct, Amanda. We've got to episode eight, and what we've actually started doing, myself and uh, Sean Percival, who... Um, writes the show with me we've started doing new stuff now we, we, there was always the intention to bring new sketches in as time went by Yeah. because you've only got a finite amount of archive material that you can draw upon yeah. and so we're, we're actually exercising the old grey matter nowadays to, to write sketches and, and songs for the comedy podcast so that's keeping me occupied Grant to be fair. Yeah and absolutely and the technology that we have at our disposal now with, with Zoom and Skype and all these sorts of things we're all going to be masters of technology when we come out of this Yeah, yeah well I'm, I'm still a bit of a Luddite, I'll happily admit <laughs> that, you know when it comes to when it comes to technology I, I'm nowhere near as au fait as, as others might be but I've managed to get my head around using my laptop to edit and segue everything together in a uh, with a nice flow that makes the podcast sound like it's you know professionally done. Yeah. So, uh, excuse me, that's a sneeze. That's nothing to do with COVID nineteen. Let's get that <laughs> one now. Um, so yeah, we're up to episode eight, and it's um it's a hopefully people find it an enjoyable way to you know kill half an hour. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk a little bit about that as we head towards the end of the podcast because it's very very interesting and uh, I just kind of give it a plug just now. You can find it on various uh, so, uh, social channels I can imagine yeah. Spotify, iTunes, etc. Yeah, yeah, Acast, Deezer, Apple, Spotify, Podbean. Pretty much most of the podcast providers have picked it up. Audio yeah. boomers want want a a more straightforward internet link if you yeah. to your podcasts. Absolutely, and and I, I think it's a very good listen, and, and I think people should uh, definitely delve into that as well as listen to mine, of course, as well. Don't, don't forget about Campbell's Hoobles. But uh, but let's uh, let's delve into your story, Ian, because you've had a, a really interesting career, not just in sports but in broadcasting as a whole. And I, I just want to I just want to kick off by saying what what made you want to go into the world of broadcasting in the first place. Well, my story's relatively unique in that uh, I didn't actually get into broadcasting properly until I was pretty much 30 years of age. I'd spent um, my teenage years uh, and my 20s wanting to be a rock star (laughs) (laughs) and uh, being in a band to try and facilitate that. I had done radio when I was at Sixth Point College and I've been quite adept at it. Um, and we actually had BBC Radio 4 come and do a, a schools programme from our sixth form college in Solihull. Terry Christian was presenting. Okay. And I remember writing a letter to the editor of that show not long after. And the reply I got 
said oh, you need a degree in and you know you need to, and, oh, I don't want a degree I'm not interested in a degree I'm, you know I've got delusions of grandeur I want to get out there and you know make it as a, a rock musician so all those ideas went to the wayside and I spent you know the best part of 10 years trying to make it as a rock star in various bands yeah yeah and and in terms of the the music scene I mean what you mentioned rock music were you influenced by a lot of positions around about that time yeah well uh, you're talking mid to late 80s when I was really formulating my musical tastes and I'm a rock fan and the big thing at that time was the sort of resurgence of uh, American glam rock that was dominating the Sunset Strip at the time although bands like Van Halen and Kiss had, had sort of blazed the trail yeah. there were a lot of up and coming bands uh, who came to prominence Motley Crue I guess being the best known of, of those bands and others and uh, Guns N' Roses of course mm-hmm. uh, by the time we got to 87, 88 so those sort of bands were a uh, were an influence on, on the bands I was in. I was in a band called Shotgun Wedding that was a five-piece that was very much a sort of a glam, sleazy mm-hmm. rock band trying to mm-hmm. trying to do what the Americans were doing very, very well. Yeah, and you, and you said that you started out in, in Solihull, was that right? Solihull, yeah. Yes, a, yeah. So what, what like is the music scene in there? Because I, I don't know Birmingham and that area that particularly well, so I, I just wanted to uh, well, have an idea. Birmingham had a very vibrant rock scene. We come from the 70s where Judas Priest and Black Sabbath had come out of Birmingham and made huge inroad. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the 80s, in Birmingham itself, there was a really good uh, pub and club scene for up-and-coming bands to play. Um, Edwards Number 8 was the venue that most bands gravitated towards wanting to play. And there were a few others. There were specific rock nights. There were Battle of the Bands competitions. Yes. Uh, and that was what Shotgun Wedding was in by the time I joined them in 1988. And so you were, we were working our way up from being a support band and yep. we became a headline act around Birmingham yep. over the next couple of years. Any big hits? Did you make it onto the, the UK Top 40 at all? <laughs> we, there was a time... We, every band's got its story of, oh, we nearly made it, or blah, 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 blah. But we... Uh, we got to about 1989, 1990, and CBS Records were showing interest. But it was only ever interest, nothing concrete. Yeah. And the band had a, a number of lineup changes, and we finally split in 1994. Okay. And I went on to join a band who were based in South Wales, who at the time were called City Kids, with two Ds okay. in Kids. Very glam, even way more glam than Shotgun Wedding had been. (laughs) And uh, they were brilliant. I mean, wow, they could write songs that knocked ours into a cocked hat. Yeah. Um, And they did get a record deal. Okay. Um, We did make an album which was never released. Um, We ended up changing the name to Sons of God. Um, And the look was, was very... It actually predated Marilyn Manson's look by about five years. Wow. It was sort of... You know, pale face and yes. you know, crimped hair and, and black and white. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. very stark um, image. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, nothing ever came of that. So essentially, by 1998, I was at a bit of a crossroads in terms because I was working as a guitar salesman, or at least had been. Mm-hmm. And by 98, I was working in a guitar distribution warehouse in the Black Country. Yes. I'm wondering. Is this what I really want? I wasn't enjoying the job, and that's when radio came along, right. which was a complete fluke. Yeah, I, I want to just ask one last question before we move into the radio side, and I'm very intrigued, for those who are listening to this, just looking at the picture on your wall behind you, Ian, I mean, that that just is, is very symbolic of your music time around then. Well, uh, the, the picture, is, it's a painting that um, a good friend of mine, Greg, uh, did for me of Kiss, um, who are my all-time a great band. band. I like Kiss myself. Uh, and uh, that's that's a, a painting of them on top of the Madison Square, uh, on top of the Empire State Building, should I say, yes. sorry. Uh, pretty much the peak of their powers in, in the mid-70s. Yeah. And um, I, I was heavily influenced by them, certainly in terms of um, 
songwriting. Mm -hmm. um, not so much with the image, you can't copy that, yeah. although others try. But um, bands like Kiss and Rush, and uh, then later on through Fighters and Wild Hearts mean, mean a lot to me. For um, I, I still write music now and I've had two solo albums out, um, which came out in the last decade, and they're heavily influenced by uh, Kiss and, and various others. It's funny you mention music because one of the main reasons why I set up Campbell's Footballs is because I'm always interested indirectly in independent people starting out and, and wanting to be successful. And you know, the one of my, the couple of my sponsors, Toby Johnson Music and Rory Hope Music, are independent musicians based in Lincolnshire and uh, Manchester, respectively. And they're acoustic singers, very good singers, and they, they haven't made it yet. But I, I seem to, I was, I like to hope that they will make it in the future. And if you haven't checked them out, please go to YouTube. But I must also here highlight Alex Rainbow Music, who produce excellent playlists each month uh, based around indie and rock music and a range of folk music, which I'm very much into. Uh, obviously, it's very different to the, the music that you're studying, and I'm also interested in that as well. But I think every place has a starting point, and that's influenced me. And the scene is very different too from what it was in the late 80s, early 90s, when record companies had a lot more power. Bands who got signed had more potential to develop mm -hmm. as artists within that record company yeah that's all gone and of course we're in the era of you know youtube and uh, and uh, people using online and, and file sharing and things like that so I, I i do really feel so much for artists who are trying to you know break that glass ceiling yes. and get to the next level in my opinion despite the fact that all the technology is here for us and everything is so much easier to produce in terms of making the music, getting it out there and actually making money from it and, and having it as a career, it's way, way tougher than it should be. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that, definitely. Uh, let's talk a bit more about your radio career because obviously you, you introduced that. Um, how did that come about and, and what, how, what steps did you make going from forward from that? Well, it all came along by accident because I, I was, as I said, working in this uh, guitar. Well, at the time, 19, let's go back to 1997, because mm -hmm. at that time I was still working in the uh, guitar, massive guitar shop in Birmingham called Musical Exchanges, which is no longer around, but it was Europe's biggest guitar store, and I worked there for five years. Now, um, my best friend Keith Laurent wrote a letter to... Tom Ross, who at the time was the head of sports at BRMB Radio in Birmingham, mm -hmm. second biggest commercial stadium in, uh, station in the country, saying, my mate Ian does brilliant impressions of Trevor Francis and uh, other football managers down the pub. We think he should be on the radio. Yeah. And for some reason, something in that letter that Keith wrote, unbeknownst to me, I didn't know he'd written it, piqued Tom's interest. And so he rang me at the guitar shop, and of course at first you think it's a wind-up, yeah. when the head of sport, who's a bit of a legend in local circles, rings you up. Turned out it was Tom, and he asked me to record some sketches. Up to the, the live commentaries that they did on BRMB and Extra AM, the two stations in Birmingham at the time. And it all just grew out of that. I, I was doing sketches for him in the end, pretty much every week, without getting paid. It yes. was just purely for the love. And then, um, well, it all came to a head February 1990 when I was working in the black country. And Tom said, can you come into the BRMB office? I need to speak to you. I thought, oh, he's, he's going to give me the pill. He's going to say thanks, but we can't use you anymore. Mm -hmm. So I drove in, uh, unbeknownst to the bosses at the place I was working. I made up some cock and bull story about needing to go into Birmingham to get guitar parts went in to see Tom and he dragged me into the office of the program controller at BRMB, whose name was Paul Jackson. Right. Son, son of Richard Park, who is got a Scottish radio listener. Yes, yes. Very famous for Fame Academy back in the day. Absolutely. And this was his son, Paul Jackson, who I shoved into his office. Tom closed the door behind me and this guy, Paul, said, been listening to what you've been doing for Tom. Uh, it's really funny. Uh, his... Here's the deal. Uh, Tammy Gooding is uh, leaving the Flying Eye next Friday. She's going to be joining Les Ross on the breakfast show as a proper co-presenter in the studio. Mm -hmm. So we need a replacement. Right. And he's looking straight. He's, he's eyeballing. He's looking straight at me. Yeah. And I'm supposed to put two and two together. 
and it, the corks whirred quickly. The, oh right, you want me to? You want me to be the flying eyes? Yeah, you can go up next week with Tammy and train how to use the equipment and how to do the job, and then the week after that you're on your own if you're good enough. Yeah. So I left the office with my eyes probably looking like this out on stalks. Went back to the office said nothing knowing that the week after oddly enough i booked the week off to do nothing at home i just wanted a week off i wasn't enjoying the job i just wanted a week at home to do nothing so i spent that week training first thing in the morning as the uh, the, the flying eye travel reporter Brilliant. um I did some bulletins towards the end of the week mm-hmm. they thought i was good enough and that was that yeah i was february 98 i suddenly was a, a radio presenter and i had to uh, jack in my career as a Fantastic. And, and in terms of the inspirations that started you on your journey, uh, can you name some of these people? Oh, well, Kenny Everett's a, a very early influence in terms of radio. Um, what a, an incredible genius he was on the air. Mm-hmm. Um, very humorous guy as well. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd never met him, never had the pleasure. He, he, he was unfortunately lost to us long before I'd have ever had the opportunity to be anywhere near touching the hem of his garment mm-hmm. but um, Les Ross himself who was the, the BRB breakfast show presenter yeah. who worked there for I think it was a quarter of a century unbelievable talent yeah. talk for England about anything mm-hmm. never did any prep before his breakfast show didn't need to yeah. because he just opened the mic fader and was brilliant for four hours a day every day he was a huge influence on me and then others, I, I don't know, um, Mark and Lard, I, I, I always loved their show when they did uh, mid-afternoons on Radio 1. Mm-hmm. And um, Hawksby and Jacobs on TalkSport. Actually, there was a time when Mark and Lard and Hawksby and Jacobs were kind of on at the same sort of time. And yes. I felt like a, a child born of two fathers. I, I, I didn't know who to commit to. And then Mark and Lard, when they left their show and Hawksby and Jacobs were unopposed, so I could devote my love to them unconditionally from that point on. But Paul and Andy are... Uh, they, they deserve an award yeah. and they've never won an award for yeah they're brilliant the they're brilliant I think it's in my view it's it's one of the best shows on TalkSport I, I, I love the, the variety of content they talk about the stuff that maybe isn't heard elsewhere that you know we always get the main things like the Premier League all the time and things like that but these are unheard stories and unhidden nuggets which are talked about and I think their show is absolutely fantastic I think when you, you look at a show like Paul and Andy's you can step back from it and even if you're not a fan of it, at least you can deduce that care has been taken yeah. in putting it together. In that there's a you know there's a desire for structure, there's a desire for looking for something that's a little more out there as a story, or taking a story that we know and looking for a, a different perspective on it. Yeah. Um, just the fact they're two of the sharpest wits. Oh well, clips of the week is still fantastic on that program. It is. It is. It's it's, it's always essential listening, isn't it? But yeah. the, you know. Uh, I'm very humble about it um, and I, I do hope that somewhere down the line they get some recognition from uh, the radio industry for, for what they've done yeah uh, when, you, when you're when you're starting out in the the radio industry how, how nervous are you because you're walking into a brand new environment to, to do something that you haven't done before do you have to almost kind of fly with the seat of your pants almost or do you do you have to be cautious about it and then just grow in confidence from that what might have worked in my favor was the fact that i was already nearly 30 years of age i wasn't a 16 year old naive uh, potentially terrified green wet behind the ears youngster yeah you know i had seen the world by that point i toured the uk in the back of a smelly old transit van and you know <laughs> play to two men and a dog and a can of beans at the Nottingham Narrowboat and things like that. So um, I wasn't as terrified as I maybe could have been. Uh, I knew I I could do the job that I was asked to do. Mm. When things started to get a bit more scary was when I was then asked to actually do some radio presenting, present some shows, mm-hmm. because they had Extra AM, which became Capital Gold, which was the, 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 the oldie station. Yeah. And they asked me to cover shows like the Beatles Hour and the Elvis Hour and then I got some cover work on BRNB and it wasn't quite happening and Paul Jackson called me into his office and said right you've got these voices you use them on the flying line you don't use them when you're doing your show I'm going to put you don't 
see this as a relegation, but I need you to try things. So I'm going to put you on Saturday into Sunday morning overnights. Yeah. Six hours. Come up with some some material. Use mm-hmm. your voices. Use your skills. Yeah. And see what you can come up with. Yeah. That's, that's, that was, was it gone? And that's when I was a little... Um, well, scared's probably the wrong word, but... Okay, apprehensive. Now I've really got to step up uh, yes. and, and learn how this craft really works. So I conscripted um, an old friend of mine, um, Steve Beebe, who at the time was a writer for Kerrang! magazine. And he came in alongside me and we, we started doing overnight shows and, yeah. and mucking out and trying character things out. And things quickly progressed. Yeah. Very quickly. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people talk about. You know when they're on radio, and you know, d- does mornings work better? Do afternoons work better? I mean, we've heard all the stories about Alan Brazil come turning up late to talk sport because he slept in or whatever. Did you have any problems like that yourself? What was oh, better no, for you? I, I, no, uh, Alan. Uh, I have to always have to be grateful to Alan because the amount of um, money I earned in his absence paid for my wedding and for my divorce. So <laughs> I, have to be, I do have to be particularly. I had to be particularly thankful to uh, to Big Al, but no, I never had any. I mean, of course, I had to get up every morning at five five thirty to go and do the the flying eye travel mm-hmm. for two years. I did that, mm-hmm. um, and that was never a problem. I was, you know, never late for that. Never missed a shift. Um, the overnights was was a, 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 a you know a, a tough education, mm-hmm. but it, it it worked because uh, I remember it was the. What I, what I don't know, you, you, I don't know whether you've ever heard of a snoop session. No. Um, a snoop session is where uh, your program controller says, right, take this cassette, you take it into the studio, you put it on record and pause. Every time you open the mic fader, it records your link. Right. And then when you turn the fader off, the cassette goes around for another second or two and then goes back to record and pause. Okay. So it records every link mm-hmm. without the music. Once you finish the show, you then put that cassette under the program controller's door. Yeah. They listen to it, and they'll either bring you in to discuss it, or they'll give you a phone call. Yes. So, I think the first show, maybe, he asked me to snoop it, because he wouldn't have been listening Saturday night into Sunday morning. Slipped the cassette under his door as I made my way home. He called me on the Monday when he was back in the office. Brilliant. That's exactly what I wanted to hear from you. More, more of that, please. Like, oh, validation, validation. Yes. Suddenly, there's a, there's a, there's potential here. Yeah. And within probably six to eight weeks, Paul had moved the show to Saturday early breakfast, six till eight, and yeah. then probably a month after that, Saturday main breakfast, yeah. eight till midday. Mm-hmm. So, wow, you know, validation and. Even as almost as quickly as that, we got offered afternoons, weekday afternoons, Monday to Friday, two till four. Yeah. We did that for about three weeks, and then they offered us drive time. I mean, it was just honestly, it was just a, a succession of oh my god, really? Okay. You've had the full, you've had the full shebang, and 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 that asked, that raises a very interesting question for me in the fact that do you have to persevere and stick away at it to become a success? It almost seems like you have to. You've got to believe in your own ability. You've got to believe in your own talent, and that you've, you know, you can write things out. Um, clearly, Paul's decision to put me on overnights was a test. Yes. To see how I would react to whether I would step up my game. As far as he was concerned, I did, and must have continued to do so because the the promotions kept on coming. So by it was April two thousand that we were promoted then to BRMB's Drive Time show. Yeah. Um, and by this time, we, we were known as the Barmy Brummies. Right. But um, Steve Beebe left not long after we started on Drive Time because he just couldn't commit to weekdays mm-hmm. uh, from the, the, the job he had. So we then brought in um, two writers uh, to work alongside me, and the Barmy Brummies grew from there yeah absolutely fantastic and it, it seems like a really interesting period of your life around about that time let's talk a little bit more uh, connected to this podcast about sport and about football when did the move to talk sport come about well that was 2004 uh, and, and but I've been working for the sports department at Capital Gold for a few years before right. again another strange kind of day in my life and it was 90, early 99 
so I've been at the station for about a year mm-hmm. and um, Tom Ross was the head of sport as I've mentioned and in his office he used to have a, a big whiteboard that was separated into 14 sections and all the fixtures for the next two weeks were written on there in um, pen yeah marker board pen and initials of the commentator or reporter were put next to each game on one week I just was popping my head around the door to see whether Tom was in he wasn't the board was up and against Warsaw versus Chesterfield it said ID yeah so I, like, I, I, I then I was thinking who's got the same initials as me and it soon dawned on me he met me so I found Tom and said is that me that you've got me down for Warsaw Chesterfield yeah get your bag off the engineer he'll tell you how it works we need full or fair commentary from you so again I was being thrown in completely at the deep end to do a wow. to watch Warsaw Chesterfield and have to do full off air commentary because they used gold clips um, we had the rights for that and so you know again to cut a long story short I, I followed Warsaw home and away for, for a few months and then Tom started giving me commentaries for West Brom Birmingham a little bit of Villa Wolves fantastic uh, uh, and so by the time Talk Sport came along in 2004 uh, Capital Gold had actually lost its commentary rights things mm. were changing yes and um, a friend of mine Nigel Pearson who also had worked for Capital Gold in the past and had been at Talk Sport since its inception recommended me because they needed a Midlands reporter right and so 2004 that season, 2004-05, I started. My first game was crew against Cardiff at the Alexandra Stadium yep. in August of 2004. Yeah, fantastic. And, and talk to me about that crew-Cardiff game because I associate crew as a really good old-fashioned English club. Dario Grady, an absolute hero of English football. And Cardiff, just everybody's fairy tale story because latterly, obviously, Neil Warnock has taken them into the Premier League, but their journey in football has been fascinating. Yeah, Crew were always a very. Well, you never saw a bad game at, at, at Crew mm-hmm. because they always played very entertaining football. Mm-hmm. They had Dean Ashton. That's right. Up front mm-hmm. at that time, and he scored that day, uh, and you could see. The talent that he had and how you know obviously injuries yeah real shame because I thought he, I thought he was good but terrific player especially when he was yeah. at West Ham you could see that at Norwich too when he, when he was there um, but yeah so I, I watched the, a, a lot of crew in those uh, well they took me all around the Midlands so I was watching Villa or Birmingham or West Brom or mm-hmm. not so much Warsaw because they dropped down the divisions by that point yeah. but crew were a championship side by that time you go and watch a bit of Leicester Nottingham Forest the patch was you know the Midlands patch is quite big so you can be sent anywhere I also got sent to other places I went to Liverpool um, and sometimes to London for games and my my patch or where I got sent in terms of where they wanted me grew as as time went by yeah yeah yeah. you mentioned Nigel Pearson as well who's a little bit of a legend because he's obviously widened out not just in football but also very strongly into darts as well in recent years what is Nigel like? oh Nigel's amazing such a grafter and we shouldn't forget what he does for Speedway as well you oh, know? well absolutely yeah I forgot about that as a press officer um, you know to get info out there to, to make Speedway you know you know more front and centre in people's minds as a sport um, I, well I'm indebted to Nigel for, for you know putting my name forward for the, the, the gig that I got at TalkSport yeah. uh, 16 years ago now um, and he continues to do fantastic work for Speedway and darts on, on, on the TV, but also carries on doing his great work for, for TalkSport. And um, he's somebody I consider a, a really close friend. He's, he's, a, he's top man, he's Nigel. Yeah, talk to me about TalkSport more generally, because a lot of people still have question marks about the station at times. Maybe it doesn't provide truthful content. I think it's I think it's a really interesting station. I think there's a varied content within it. I think there's a, a lot of varied presenters on it now, especially in recent times. There's a lot more female presenters now, like Laura Woods, for example, who does a sterling job. I mean, what's it like? Because you, you're, you're at it. You're at the cool face most days. I think the thing that I've noticed over the, the, the 16 years that I've, I've worked there is the growth, uh, the exponential growth. When I started there it wasn't that long since it was only a few years since they've been doing unofficial euro 2000 commentaries from hotel rooms yeah 
um, you know, and, and making it quite clear that they were not at the ground and being told by the BBC to say they weren't at the ground, but just providing mm -hmm. commentary. Um, and during the time that I was there, they started to pick up rights for Premier League football. The first one that TalkSport got was actually uh, Saturday at three o'clock. Um, that Nigel Pearson was actually the commentator on for a time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then not long after that, we picked up the, the Sunday afternoon commentaries. Um, so and, and look at all the sporting rights they've got now and what we've done for not just for football, but also for rugby union, for rugby league, yeah. cricket, darts, of course, that I've been involved with, mm. um, golf, tennis, so on and so forth, plus all, brand, all different brands of football, EFL, mm -hmm. Champions League, Europa League. The, the, the difference in terms of the, the status of talk sport compared to when I first started working for them it's it's night and day yeah and of course a, a brand new venue as well because it used to be right in the centre of London didn't it now it's at News UK which is a, a grand building and I know that Virgin Radio are there because you always hear Alan Brazil going to speak to Chris Evans all the time I mean it's a, it's a wonderful setup at News UK it is I mean the, the, the old place I, I, ne I never saw the, the very first uh, talk sport talk radio studios that they had on Oxford Street back in the 90s so they were in Hatfields, which was the, the home that That's I... That's right. I can uh, remember the name. Mm -hmm. um, and that was... I mean, that was... It was a bit untidy. Mm. Uh, the kitchen... The original kitchen was the size of a box room in somebody's flat. Probably the size and of my bedroom, was, really. <laughs> but, and it was, it, was a, it was a health and safety disaster, that mm. kitchen. I wouldn't have made tea for any. In fact, so many guest stars came in for interviews, and you'd say, "Would you like a drink?" And they take they take one look at the kitchen, and go, "No, you're right, thanks," uh, and and leave it. But you know, uh, yes, the, the 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 opulence that surrounds us now at, uh, at London Bridge is uh, a world away from what I first saw when I, I walked in there. It's all state of the art, um, beautifully presented, um, and it. it it kind of signifies where the station has come from in, in the course of that 20 years that um, surroundings like that, I think the, sta the stations earn that right to have yes. that sort of to have that because we, we are uh, significant players in, in the marketplace now mm -hmm. um, and people have to sit up and take notice of, of, of what we're doing because we have those exclusive rights yes. that we didn't have before. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we obviously talked about the way that TalkSport has uh, exponentially increased in terms of coverage, but in terms of presenters as well, who's, who's the influences for you working at TalkSport? We mentioned Nigel Pearson. Were, were there others? Well, we mentioned Hawksby and Jake. Of course. Already, haven't we? Yes. Um, Adrian, Durham, Adrian Durham is a, another wonderful example of somebody that I've uh, become you know, very close to over the years. Adrian's been... <clears throat> terrific sounding board. He, di he divides opinion, doesn't he, Adrian? Because you know, I I, I tune into his drive program most days. Um, I think he, I think some of the things he says are are, are very interesting. Uh, I don't often agree with quite a lot of what he says, but I, I can understand his reasons why he does it. And uh, having had Matt Holland on a previous podcast, he really researches a lot into what he does. There is nobody that works harder than Adrian whether it's putting his drive time show together or whether it's uh, the knowledge that he has of lower league footballers for the Saturday afternoon round the grounds. Mm -hmm. I've covered that shift when Adrian's been away or poorly and it's the toughest shift on the station. Right. I enjoy it. And I, you put the hours in, you put the prep in because if you don't put the homework in for a show like, you know, around the grounds, you will soon get found out. Yeah. Because, you know, your knowledge will show you up either in a positive or negative light within 10 minutes of the start of kickoff mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at three o'clock. Yeah. Um, so, I, personally, if I know I'm sitting in for a... And they're very, very high. Mm. Incredibly high. So... You know, you have to tip the hat to Adrian for that alone. Never mind everything else that he does. Uh, yes. He's also a brilliant company. I know he divides opinion, and I know that he he 
he's perceived as a wind-up merchant. He gets a lot of unwarranted flack from me, and 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 yeah, you know, I say to people if they don't like him, don't listen to him. That, that's an absolute straight answer. What annoys me is that people think that he's contriving opinions just to be argumentative. No, he really genuinely believes yes. what he thinks. Uh, and he's, as I say, as hardworking an individual mm-hmm. as you will find anywhere in sports media. Um, he's also, as I mentioned, terrific company. Um, uh, and we've we've been on tour uh, a couple of times. I'm sure we'll get onto that as, uh, as time goes on in this chat. Yeah, um, but you know he's never been anything other than absolutely brilliant for me. Yeah, when you when you obviously you've done quite a little bit of commentary as well during your time at Talksport. How much preparation would you yourself, Ian, do for a live game on Talksport? Loads, absolutely loads. Um, you owe it to your audience to be properly prepared, even if you only use five percent of what you've actually prepared for that game yes as I mentioned at the start of this I'm a bit of a Luddite I don't use um, apps or uh, an iPad with all my stats on there I prefer handwritten notes Um, maybe I'm just of that generation that prefers it that way perhaps it subconsciously it just sits in the mind better once you've written it down colour coded pens OCD all that stuff and uh, I do detailed notes on both squads whoever I'm watching detailed notes on the game itself but I'm you know once you're actually into the game you're describing what's going out there in front of you not what's on the piece of paper yes under your but that's that is there what's written on that piece of paper as a as a fail safe in yeah. case it's a, it's a dreadful game or there's a long injury wait or there's just a moment in the game there's a, a pause where you can well, there's something relevant that you can bring to the commentary mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, firing off a load of stats for, for stats' sake. Yeah, and, and in terms of the commentary people that have both been on Talksport and in the wider general sense, have you had any influencers? Well, I mean, when I first started doing commentaries for, for Tom Ross back in the, the, the BRMB Capital Gold days, there were some really good summarisers that I worked with. I mean, if you're talking about the, you mean, are you talking about the summarisers? Yes. Well, it, it, just a general sense of a question. Well, in terms of summarisers, I'll think back to people like Derek Manfield, who I worked with when I was first following Warsaw, who had not long retired from the game. Then Kevin Broadhurst, who um, was Birmingham City captain in the early to mid 80s, very very good reader of the game. Mm-hmm. And Ian Atkins as well, another former. Birmingham City defender who I did games with um, these were all guys that in that little 10 second moment in between the ball going out for a corner and the corner coming in mm-hmm. they were able to tell you something about the game that you hadn't seen but would help the audience back home know what was going on yeah. absolute priceless and I would add into that as well Tony Brown Bomber Brown of um, West Bromwich Army yes. playing their record goal scorer I worked with him Pretty much the whole season when Albion won promotion uh, in 2001-2. Right. Uh, we went all around the country, Bomber and I. He always bought a, bl- a flask of soup uh, that Mrs. Brown had made that morning. <laughs> um, he's still, I mean, he's in his 70s now, I think, and he's still as passionate and as knowledgeable and yeah. as intelligent about the game as he always was. And he was, he was also brilliant to work with in those days yeah. if you talk about now yes I'm talking about now I'm talking generally so let's let's hear about the now if we, if we go forward to now I mean I, the people I work with mostly are just as well prepared as I am uh, in terms of what they brought uh, Matt Holland who you mentioned I've done World Cups and Euros with him fantastic I mean you can't ask for somebody who's who's been there and seen it and done it and bought the t-shirt at a World Cup more yes. than Matt Holland and you know, again, he's got an ability to, you know, help the commentary go in a different direction because as his football brain is spotting things that my commentary brain isn't necessarily spotting. Yeah. So he's brilliant to work with. Perry Groves is fantastic to work with, who I do most of my Saturday three o'clock games with for the Premier League. Great sense of humour. Again, does his prep in a, an entirely different way to Matt. It's all on spider scroll. It's all on one piece of A4, and it's like a tarantula's run across the page. I can't make out of the It makes sense to him. Yeah. But, um, it's you know, again, it adds something. But 
he's got a self-deprecating way about him, Perry, that adds to the commentary. And then the people I do um, EFL commentaries with when I'm doing football league games, David Connolly, Adrian Clark, people like that, Chris Alumo, all superbly well prepared, but particularly David and Adrian, they really put the hours in. Yeah. Yeah. David Connolly, once the team sheet is out, invariably David will know somebody on the coaching staff of one of the teams, and he will be hunkered under the press room desk on the phone to that guy. So, what does this mean they're doing? He wants information that he can then use in yes. the commentary, not half an hour later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And very interesting. Very interesting to hear that insight. Um, what about grounds that you guys have done commentary at? Is there any particular highlights? its own little idiosyncrasies I suppose um, some grounds um, obviously have a, a great cachet yeah. but they're not as easy to work out from a, a reporter's or commentator's point of view than others in terms of the space that you're afforded to work in yeah. so um, oh well I mean St Andrews it's always, it's always wonderful for me to work at St Andrews because you know it's my home from home yes um, and it's always nice to go back and and, uh, and spend an evening there no matter what the occasion yeah in terms of grand, I mean I mean Wembley I, I went to the old Wembley as a supporter mm-hmm. uh, and I didn't work there at the old Wembley as a commentator it wasn't until the, 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 the rebuild had been done that I started working there but that's a you know you whichever view you get whether you're working on the gantry on the opposite side to the to the tunnel or whether you're working tunnel side behind the um, the dugouts you've got a fantastic view um, and of course I've been lucky enough to work at some of the biggest stadia in the world for World Cups and European Championships and I always wanted to go to the Stade Velodrome in Marseille yeah. uh, and I got the chance to go there in Euro 2016 to watch Portugal against Poland. Me and Stuart Pearce commentated on that game. Yeah. And the Stade Velodrome was, of course, the place where Bergkamp scored that incredible, incredible winner game. against Argentina oh. in France 98. But they put the roof on. They put this kind of... Yes, I've been, I've, been, I've, been to the, I've been to the ground in Marseille myself. And, you know, you, you mentioned that goal. I mean, it's probably one of my favourite World Cup goals of all time. It is arguably the greatest World Cup goal when you consider the time that was left in the game, the status of the game... Mm. The, the skill involved in scoring it yeah if you put all the ingredients that yeah. made that goal together it's hard to top it yeah it's, I mean the, the one the one that sort of kind of counteracts that very closely is Michael Owen's goal against Argentina you know and, and, yeah, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Scottishman saying that but you know it, it's still a wonderful individual goal it's a wonderful goal but the, the Dennis's goal there was no time for Argentina to, That's true. to come it was the last minute so it's the last minute of the game. Yeah. He's got a 50-yard crossfield ball to control from Frank De Boer. There's two Argentina defenders in front of him and a goalkeeper. It's 1-1. There's extra time beckoning. And he's got the presence of mind to do what he did, check inside Ayala. And it's, a wonder, it's a wonderful goal. It, 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 I mean, it, 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 as I said, it's got to be up there with the best go goals ever. To go to the standard was a very special day for me because mm. I always wanted to go there. And... Um, Almost all the stadia I visited on World Cup or European Championship trips yeah. have been. They've all had their little wow moments. Yeah. Well, I wanted. Other, oh, sorry. Go on. But there are other grounds around the UK where you realise what well, this is a special Newcastle being one. When you go to St. Oh, James, St. Park, James is, it's fantastic. Um, you you realise just how much bigger the Lees' end is than the Gallagher end. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, and you have this thing in your mind that oh, the Gallagher end must be bigger. You know, simply because that's where the hardcore Newcastle support. And I mean, no, the Leeds' end is twice as, as tall. Um, yeah, and you know, so many places around the country. That even some of the the, the, the smaller stadia that you go to visit mm-hmm. have a bit of charm of their own. I remember going to Hereford once to Edgar Street right. years ago, uh, and it was really it was dilapidated. It was run down. You know, corrugated iron everywhere, but it had its own. You know individual charm I suppose yes but you know, the, the, you know every ground's got its own little bit of character but obviously the, the, 
probably the game stick in your mind sometimes more than the grounds that you're watching. Well, that's what I was going to come on to next. Is there a specific game or games, Ian, that you look back on and think, I'm glad I got that one because it's right up there in my list of memories? There's two from Russia 2018 that immediately spring to mind, and Matt Holland would tell you the same, and so would Adrian uh, and the team that we worked with. Spain 3, Portugal 3. Well, that was the game Adrian wanted to marry, and I, I keep repeating that because he, he did say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he, and, and uh, but we were all sat there. I think we went to a break uh, after the game had finished, and, and uh, Adrian had summed up, and he'd done his, I would like to marry this game, this kid, and he'd spoken to Matt. And we went to a commercial break, and I think we all just sat back in our chairs and went, what did we just witness? That was just extraordinary. Yeah. And not long after, um, we were in Sochi again, and we had to take a, a train to go from Sochi to Rostov. And uh, it was a very, very slow train. It took 11 hours. Yeah. When, when you looked at the, the route map, it was only 200 miles. It should yeah. have taken a couple of hours. But it was a genuinely slow train, which we quickly christened the Rostov Trundler. No air conditioning, um, very basic uh, seating, and it was it was a test of character for us all. And the day after, we were doing commentary on Belgium against Japan. Oh, that so was a cracking game as well. <laughs> yeah. And we arrived in Rostov and we were so tired and we were a bit agitated because we'd had 11 hours on this train. It wasn't a great hotel that we were booked into. We got as much sleep as we could. We went to the Rostov Arena the following night and of course everyone's thinking, well, Belgium, they've just got to, you know, play something approaching their best and they'll they'll be in the, in the quarterfinals. And next thing you know, Japan go two up and it looks like they're gone and, and Martinez brings on Fellaini as a substitute and I remember Adrian looking across at me mouth agog that with other strikers on the back why he was on the bench I think and others but what's Martinez doing bringing Fellaini yeah, on with yeah, the 2-0 yeah. I could hear I could hear I could hear Adrian even saying that <laughs> but he did, of course he couldn't say anything because we're in contrast exactly but yeah I can, I can see his face <laughs> yeah, he made his feelings abundantly clear um, for Matt and I but of course Justice, well, he, he, you know, he, he clearly made the right call because next thing you know, it's 2 2. And then in the dying seconds, Chadley wins the game and sends the Belgians through. Yeah. It was a, that, that was an amazing night. In terms of games back in the UK, two spring to mind. One was uh, West Ham against West Brom in that promotion season, 2001 2 for West Brom, yeah. where West Ham went 3 0 up inside 15 minutes. Jermaine Defoe got then sent off. And West Brom won with the last kick of the game, 4-3, through Lee Hughes. And that was a game where I had Bomber Brown alongside me, mm -hmm. who was fantastic value that afternoon. And then, just last season, actually, uh, Aston Villa 5, Forest 5, 10-goal uh, thriller at Oh, yes, Park. that was an extraordinary game. I remember that one as well. Uh, I had Ian Holloway with me that night doing commentary, and uh, he was losing his losing his mind at some point you know it was all about Jack Grealish watching Jack Grealish he said was like uh, Bailey's over ice in front of a warm fire then it goes to Villa took the lead for the first time when it went 5-4 up El Ghazi's goal and he starts going in my ear he's 5-4 five, 4-5 four, four, five, five, he's 5-4 five, four. <laughs> when Lewis Graben equalises for the 10th goal of the game he starts banging on about 5-ball the Disney mouse as in Fievel, the, the, the movie. He's just, he's just, the mind of Ian Holloway is uh, a precious Well, I was going to ask you, because every time I think of Ian Holloway, I think of Blackpool, and I just think of his witty remarks, his ollieisms. He's just one of a kind, isn't he? Total one-off, but uh, uh, a lovely man at the same time. Uh, he was at Blackpool, and I remember Blackpool came to St Andrews for a game I was just reporting on. I wasn't commentating on it against Birmingham. Birmingham beat Blackpool that day. I think it was the Alex McLeish era. Forgive me if I'm wrong. But we were in the, the, the tunnel area just outside the press room interviewing Ian Holloway to get his thoughts on the game. Um, Barry Ferguson, Birmingham midfielder, was walking past, heading back to the car park. And Ian Holloway stopped the interview and said, hang on a second, lads. Barry, come here. Shook his hand. I said, I just wanted to say that's one of the best midfield performances I've seen in a very, very long time. You should be very proud. Top man. Brilliant. And then wow. Barry, red-faced and sheepish, went on his way and, and Ian continued 
with his with his press conference and didn't bat an eyelid. But he felt the need to stop a player who just beaten him and say you were a different class. Brilliant. And what? that shows to me that you're Fabulous not guy. Yeah, what a fabulous guy. I mean, I mean, talking of Barry Ferguson, I mean, he was an absolute outstanding player for Rangers up in Scotland, and he's had a remarkable career. And I'm going to plug uh, Football CFB here, Callum McFadden. He's done a really good podcast on Barry Ferguson. If you want to check that out, head to his channel. Ian, I just want to well, talk... Oh, sorry, go on. Well, well, Barry, of course, was part of the side that, that gave me my greatest ever day as yes. a football supporter when Birmingham won the League Cup. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and I remember the game so vividly because it, it'll be obviously remembered for a horrendous mistake at the back by Arsenal, which is tapped in by uh, Malbafemi Martins. It's still the best gag ever written. A Frenchman walks into a pole and Birmingham City win the Carling Cup because of what happened between Chesney and Koscielny. Yeah. Yeah, time stood still, I can tell you. All, all 40,000 blue noses that were there that day will tell you the same. When that ball suddenly squirmed away from. Chesney and in front of Obafemi Martins time stood I watched that game and I couldn't believe it was happening before my eyes because I think everybody thought with that final oh, Arsenal are going to win this and then I, I can't remember who scored the opening goal was it Zigic who got the opening goal? Zigic, yeah, yeah, yeah. Zigic, and then I thought okay Arsenal equalise and you're thinking okay Arsenal going to win the game but <laughs> that was the season I think that Birmingham went down wasn't it? They, 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 won, the, they won the cup but they went relegated yeah, the same way that Wigan did in 2013 with the FA Cup yeah, after that, after that game, um, both Obafemi Martins and Zigic picked up injuries and barely kicked a ball for the club yeah. again for the rest of that season. Yeah, and um, yeah, we went down, but I still wouldn't swap it. And yeah. there's, there isn't a Birmingham fan out there that would swap that Carling Cup win for a Premier League survival. Yeah, I want, I want to chat about. I want to chat more about Birmingham specifically at the moment because you know they're they're in the in the Championship, which is a a, a really battling league. You know, it's. it's I, my opinion, one of the best leagues outside of the Premier League and, the, and and loads of other big leagues. I mean, do you see Birmingham getting back into the Premier League anytime soon? Well, the way things are, it's very difficult. Um, you know, we, we had that period where we spent oodles and oodles of cash on players and wages that saw us get that nine-point deduction from the EFL for breaching profitability and sustainability rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had to be a much more circumspect since that time. Um, I, it's, look, most of my life has been spent watching Birmingham outside the top flight, whether it's the old First Division or the Premier League, as it is now. And I don't have that sense of entitlement, you know, to start saying, "Oh, we should be back where we belong in yeah. the Premier League." We are where we are for a reason because. We weren't good enough to stay in the Premier League in 2010-11 and we haven't been good enough to get back since. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a long time before we're anywhere near back. I, I, you know, They've tried so many different ways of getting back in terms of style mm-hmm. uh, and the, the irony is that the, the two times we've looked like building something under Gary Rowett and then Gary Monk, uh, both those managers were shown the door. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you build up to a certain point and then, you, you know, you have to drop down a couple of gears. Uh, and that's what Pep Clotter is, is trying to do um, under a, a fair degree of restriction because of the penalties that have been posed on us. Yeah. So um, I, don't, I don't know how long it will take for Birmingham to, to, to get back to the, the top flight. It's, it's not impossible it's not beyond the wit of man there's yeah. more than enough examples of teams that have done it on low budgets but um, you know Pep Lotter he's trying his, his hard he's clearly to, to get a, a mm-hmm. unified team together and the, you know the, the, the side was doing alright up until lockdown it was okay it was <coughs> mid-table obscurity god we've been waiting years for mid-table obscurity after yeah. the well, the last eight dramas we've had. Yeah, well, the championship, as I said, is, is a really competitive league, isn't it? Because, you know, it's always very close to the top. I mean, before the shutdown, Leeds and West Brom were the, were the two teams to beat. But even the teams down at the bottom, like Stoke City, who obviously were a Premier League team once upon a time, not too distant past. And, you know, teams coming up from League One who've been fighting it out quite well. Even, well, I'm saying, I say even, that's harsh. Luton have been in that league, and, you know, they, they've been causing some real surprises this season. And, you know, it, anyone could be anybody in the championship. Can they? Most of the, the, the sides that are in the championship have spent time in the Premier League. 
if it's just one season in the case of Barnsley or you know one or two in case of some others um, so everybody you know there are I'll go back to that word entitlement there are you know some supporters believe that you know their natural home is not the championship and it's the Premier League now you look at Leeds for example who spent what 15 16 years away from the Premier League um, you could there's a, a better argument that they belong in the Premier League than most if you start arguing the toss about that when you think of everything they won in the 70s and the, the side that Don Revy put together but heritage doesn't count for anything it's what you do on a you know on a season to season basis but they look well placed and um, you know maybe this is the year if the season does get played to a finish that they finally get their wish Leeds fans but yeah. Yeah, anybody can beat anybody yeah. in the in, in the in the championship um, that is part of its charm that is part of its allure mm. um, and you know it's, it's it's great fun to commentate on yeah absolutely I, I just want to talk about life outside of broadcasting because obviously you, you're working with a lot of guys that talk sport at World Cups or local games or you know all around the country when the when the commentary is finished, what what are the nights out or the entertainment like with the guys you're working on? Because that's where some of the great stories must come out, surely. Well, those stories tend to be restricted to when you're actually out on tour and you're covering a major championship. Can you share any? <laughs> Sorry? Can you share any? Can I share any? Well, um, can I share any? Well... <laughs> There were a, a number of uh, very long evenings spent in the bar in Moscow uh, when we were out there for the World Cup in 2018 because actually there were a lot of broadcasters that used that same hotel, not just TalkSport but also you know, uh, uh, BBC and others who were there. And you know, there's much more hands across the water than you might imagine. Yeah. It's not like everyone sitting in different factions, different parts of them flicking peanuts at one another going, nah. there's, you know, there's quite a lot of camaraderie, you know, yes. you get to know lovely people like, you know, Mark Pugash and, uh, and John Murray and people like that, who were just delightful company, Yeah. but you tend to, you, you tend to gravitate towards your own yes. groups, and, um, uh, you know, many a, a good night, there, there, there was a... Um, one of the games in Sochi, I think we had four different trips to Sochi. Matt, Holland, Adrian Durham, myself, uh, Declan, our producer, and, and Will, our fixer. And I think there was one game, I think it might have been Uruguay-Portugal, where uh, Uruguay knocked out the Portuguese uh, the same day that um, Argentina got knocked out by the French. And um, We had about a half-hour walk from the stadium back to our hotel and the bar there had the slowest pouring beer pump right. as you can imagine and this one poor bloke who's trying to pour beers for about 30 journalists have all suddenly converged on this bar all wanting liquid refreshment but I seem to remember the pints I drank that night was some of the most satisfying I've ever drunk because I, I need I was absolutely I had nothing left to give yeah. um, after a terrific game yeah. Um, and yeah some of those nights with the likes of um Adrian and Matt putting the world to rights will then Brilliant. always have a very special place in my heart. That's very diplomatic and very well put. I just want to head towards wrapping up this podcast, Ian, by bringing you back to your podcast, which you're producing at the moment. Um, yeah. How did that come about? And you know, can you see it being a grand success post-lockdown? Well, it, it, it was created in extremists because of lockdown and that you know I wanted to keep creative um, and as I mentioned right at the start of this you know the opportunity was there to delve into the archive of sketches that I used to do in BRMB days and also I worked on Heart FM for a couple of years mm -hmm. uh, between 2004 and 2006 in, in, the, in the Midlands and so um, I used the, the, the raw materials I had there as a basis for the show um, and then started supplementing it with, with comedy stuff that uh, me and Sean are writing now, uh, whether it be a comedy sketch or parody songs, which I'm very proud of, the way we put those together. And they're together, very, very good. <laughs> trying to be very precise. I've got, in this room here where I'm speaking to you from, I've got, you know, my electronic drum kit, I've got uh, keyboards behind me and guitars and a microphone, so I can piece everything together here, um, you know, and, and, and make it the best it can be. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, the intention is to continue it beyond lockdown. Maybe not necessarily every week once um, things get back to normal in the football world because I just don't think I'll have the time. But there's nothing to stop it happening, you know, once a month or something. Uh, maybe once a fortnight. I don't know. It's, yeah. We'll have to see what happens when um, things get back to something resembling normality. But it's been very well received. The Barmy Old Podcast. I'm grateful to those that have given it a listen. Um, as I'm sure you're grateful to to those folk that, that you know stick with you and what you're absolutely, doing absolutely absolutely and, and, and you know I'm, I'm of the opinion that you know the, the show the, personally from my side the show isn't about me it's about people like yourself who tell their stories to me which is which is which is very interesting and, and your side is, is, is a very fascinating story and you know a really unique one as you said right at the top and, and I, I think I, 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't advise any university undergraduate or, or prospective um, radio commentator in their late teens early 20s to look at what i did and see that as the way to go because it's so desperately unconventional yeah to to to, to get in the, the important thing to say at this point is yes there is a there was a huge slice of good fortune involved in me getting an opportunity once that opportunity presents itself that is when the hard work commences yes that's when the hard work starts and if you're prepared to put the hours in and you're prepared to do things for nothing and you're prepared to do things for chicken feed um but you, but you have to be good at it. whether whether you're a presenter or whether you're behind the microphone whether you're a producer or an editor or whatever it may be you show the willing and the dedication and the uh, and the minerals and you put the hours in then 99 times out of 100 the rewards will follow yeah. but yes there's an element of luck and timing and serendipity involved a lot of the time but there's also a lot of damn hard work yeah absolutely and I, I think that really feeds in really nicely to my very last question of this fabulously interesting podcast Ian um, what does the future hold for yourself because you know you seem to have a really unique um, follow, following uh, a really interesting grounding as we as we've discovered as well but the footballing side you've made your own and I just have the suspicion that you just want to keep that going as much as possible yeah Exactly. I, 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 I'm very, very fortunate to have the role that I have with uh, TalkSport and TalkSport2, doing the commentaries that I do. Um, I also do occasional uh, stints on Planet Rock, um, National Rock Station as a cover presenter, which is also wonderful fun. Really enjoy doing that um, when those opportunities present themselves. So, yeah, I, that's that's kind of... My life as it is at the moment, uh, as I, I, I have no desire to um, cover anything else necessarily at, at this time. Um, it's it's too much fun. Yeah, no desire to make any late bids for Christmas number one. <laughs> well, there, there is there is a third album under construction. I have two solo albums out. Right. Prove you wrong. Prove you wrong came out in 2013, and then second time around came out in 2015, where I play and sing pretty much everything certainly that was the case on the second album I did have a guest vocalist for a few tracks on the first album can this be sourced on Spotify iTunes oh yeah that's all excellent iTunes. so people can have a listen to this brilliant I haven't actually listened so I'm going to have a listen after I finish yeah, this just, just search Ian Dancer and you'll, you, you'll, you'll find it um, um, all in the classic rock vein no great surprise there yes. based on the music loves I talked about earlier but yeah album number three is about midway done so uh, that might be finished before the end of the year. Um, who knows? And I'll release that onto an unsuspecting public as and when it's ready. Superb, superb. I will look out for that when it comes out. Ian, what thoroughly entertaining unique and diverse podcast we've had tonight we, we've chatted for over an hour it's been absolutely fantastic but i hope my listeners and maybe your listeners as well will tune into this thanks very much for being part of the campbell's footballs podcast thanks grant an absolute pleasure well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, or Instagram, or other social media channels. But until then, until next time... I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's footballs. What a danger.
last night. 